Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> um, my thanks to you for the invite and coming uh, this morning. Uh, and it's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, I was the one who was introducing Sophie this time last week. Um, and she was... She's alright. <laughs> she was, she was top-notch uh, up with us. And we had, a, we had a lovely time last Sunday morning. Um, and you know you've got a you've got a real gem in her. I'm sure you all know that. Anyway, but um, this morning I'd like us to uh, to turn to Mark chapter nine. For the the last couple of um, times I've been here on a on a Sunday, we've looked at Mark together for the simple reason that we are looking at Mark on a Sunday morning up in up in the bush. Uh, and so I I like to share a few of those um, with you. Uh, and Mark chapter 9 is our passage, and I'm going to read uh, from verse 1. Um, let's have a look. Down to verse 9. Mark 9, and the first nine verses then. He said to them, this is, this is Jesus speaking, He said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were speaking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And the cloud came and overshadowed them, and the voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Now as they came down the mountain, he commanded them, that they should tell no one the things that they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And we read verse 10. And so they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. So, Mark chapter 9, in to the, the second half, if you like, of Mark's Gospel. And it begins with this transfiguration story. This story of Jesus and a number of his disciples and the things that happened to them on the top of a mountain. You know, as we, we read it this morning, as we, we try to understand it, then we can realize that it's a story that had a dramatic effect and a profound effect on the people who were present. It had a profound effect on these three men who had been with Jesus for a number of years and who had seen him do the most wonderful things and the most glorious things and the most perhaps confusing things at times but this story, this event, this thing that happened to them on this mountain, on this day it had this dramatic effect on them and profound effect John talks about it in 1 John chapter 1 he talks about it a little bit in John chapter 1 
as well in his gospel. Peter talks about it in 2 Peter chapter 1. This event, life-changing I suppose, event that happened in the sight of these three disciples, Peter and James and John. You know, it's an event that as we think about it, as we look at it this morning, we realise that it happened away from the crowds and away from the multitudes. And if you, you were to read the first eight chapters of Mark, not a lot happened away from the crowds. It, was, it is a gospel filled with crowds and filled with multitudes and filled with thousands upon thousands of people who have come to hear Jesus and come and have an encounter with him. But this is different. It happens away from the crowds, away from the multitudes. It's just Jesus, Peter, James and John. The same characters who will be together in the sorrow of Gethsemane, not long from now, are together in the glory of the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, as you think of the story that, that we've read this morning and listen to the words, it's perhaps the theme that runs through this little story, only eight verses long in the Gospel of Mark, glory. The theme of glory runs through these eight verses. The glory of Jesus displayed for these three disciples to see and to try and take in. And to try and understand the theme of glory running through these eight verses. You know, I don't know if you're like me, but glory is one of those words that if someone were to ask me this morning, do you understand what the Bible means by glory? I'd say, yes, of course I do. I've been a Christian all these years. I've been a Bible college. Of course I know what the Bible means when it says glory. Of course. But if that person then said, well, explain it to me, explain what glory means, I'd say, well, you know, it's, it's glory. It's the glory of God. It's brightness and shining and all these wonderful things. It's this glorious shining light. And if I perhaps wanted to, to brag, I think well, it's, it's the Shekinah. How wonderful is that? It's all these wonderful things. But I'd sort of beat around the bush a little bit. I go around the house and I well, you know, it's all these wonderful things. But I've been thinking about it these last couple of weeks as I've looked at the Mount of Transfiguration story. What does it really mean? The glory of Jesus, the theme running through these eight verses. What does the glory of Christ really mean? You know, and I suppose in its more simple terms that I can understand it, and speak it this morning, glory is about having this right understanding of who Jesus is. This right opinion of who Jesus, our Saviour, is. The right understanding of who Jesus is. You know, to glorify Him this morning is to understand Him as He is. And to acknowledge Him and for it to enter our hearts and our minds, who he really is. Not to have him hidden before us, or as some great mystery, but to take in, and to understand, who he really is. The wonder of him. The glory of him. To see him, as he really is. You know, for these three men, as they 
they're on this mountainside away from the crowds and they're, they're looking and they're seeing things that are amazing and wonderful and terrifying and confusing they start to catch a glimpse perhaps for the first time of the reality of who Jesus is to see him as he really is you know that glory of Christ hidden perhaps unseen for 33 years yet now suddenly wonderfully amazingly it's there before them before the eyes and the hearts of these three men they catch a glimpse of who Jesus really is they start to get an idea of who Jesus really is glory in the whiteness of his clothes glory in the company that he is keeping glory in the words of his father and the presence of his father a recognition for these three disciples of who Jesus really is no and when you think of that then then surely that's our aim here this morning and our goal here this morning the glory of God in our midst to understand who God really is to, to see him and to look at him and to take in his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his strength and his power and his love and all these wonderful things that we've been singing about this morning his goodness his grace his character to know who he is to understand who he is and this revelation of God this idea that we can understand who God is and take in who God is you know that's been the goal of humanity for centuries and it's our goal here this morning to understand and see in reality who God really is who Jesus really is you know, I had the, the good manners last week to ask Sophie for a reading. <laughs> well, she didn't do that for me this morning. And if she had, I would have taken us to Exodus 33, to hundreds of years before the Mount of Transfiguration, to the story of Moses on another mountain many, many years ago, and many years before Peter, James and John were alive. But his heart, was the same as their heart his heart was the same as our heart perhaps you this morning when he said to God Lord please show me your glory let me understand who you are don't be hidden from me anymore show me the reality of how good you are and great you are and, and loving you are and righteous you are and just you are knowing the grace and the mercy of God he put Moses in the cleft of the rock for me and said keep keep your eye and I'll just I'll just pass by you and you'll just ca catch a glimpse of the reality of me you know and that was the plea of, of Moses let me know you Lord let me understand you let me take it in perhaps this glimpse of who you are let me know your might and your power and your goodness and your love and your grace and your mercy and all these wonderful things that we can think of this morning coming back to Mark chapter 9 here is 
this encounter for these three disciples. You know, Moses has had his opportunity. Now it's their turn. And they sit or they stand on a mountain in Israel on their own and they see these wonderful things. Now I think from reading their reaction, Peter and James and John are confused and terrified when they're up this mountain. They don't understand the things that they see. They don't understand the things that they hear. They don't understand the things that they witness. They are confused as they see the glory of God displayed in Jesus. They are confused as they go down and back back down to wherever they had been. The conversation they have with Jesus, Jesus says to them, don't tell anyone about this until I'm risen from the dead. And they don't even understand that. They talk, what does he mean? Risen from the dead. It's a, a story of confusion. You know, and as we read it this morning, it's a difficult story to understand. Because it's so different to anything that has happened in Mark up to now. I'll let you into a little secret as I've been reading through Mark and, and preaching through Mark in the bush on a, on a Sunday morning. The story of the transfiguration isn't my favourite story in the book of Mark because I find it a little bit confusing too. You know what? It makes me ask questions and it's not something I can get into my heart and into my understanding straight away. It's difficult to understand. It introduces us to difficult concepts when it comes to who Jesus is. It introduces us to these strange things that happen on this mountain in Mark chapter 9. Dazzlingly white clothes that are not earthly. These two characters who have been dead for hundreds of years and yet they appear here on this Mount of Transfiguration. You know, it's a, a very spiritual story rather than a physical one. And that's difficult. It's difficult to take in because with my physical eyes and, and ears and mind I can understand the physical, but when it comes to the spiritual, then I'm grasping a little bit. And it takes more effort on my part. It raises so many questions. And it's four questions that I would like to ask of this story over the next four sermons that I'm going to speak here in Emmanuel. So I'm here twice this year. Um, and so we're going to look at this story this morning and Thursday. And then in October, God willing, we're going to look at it on the Sunday morning on the Thursday as well. Now you might have noticed I've left out Sunday nights, but I'm going to be lighter on Sunday nights because I know that's why you like it, yeah, on a Sunday night. So, but for the Sunday mornings that we have and the Thursday Bible studies, we can ask ourselves and we can ask the, the Bible four questions of this little story. First of all, why now? Secondly, why Elijah? Thirdly, why Moses? And then finally, in six months' time, why God? Why now? Why Elijah? Why Moses? Why God? And so for this morning, and these moments that we have this morning, we'll ask the Bible the question, why now? 
Christ is going to reveal his glory he's going to reveal the reality of who he is the reality of his love of his character of his person of his might of his power of his grace of his purity of his holiness all these things if Christ is going to do that why now? why on a mountain far away from everyone? why on a mountain far away from crowds and far away from the rest of the world? if Christ is going to reveal his glory and the reality of who he is then why now? in this occasion? surely there would have been better times than this one no, it wasn't long ago that he fed the 5,000 in front of a great multitude of people. Why not then? Why not then as the people were, were buzzing with what he, he can do and buzzing with, with who he is and were questioning who is this who has done this wonderful thing? Why not then did his garments not shine with this heavenly glory? Why then didn't he reveal himself to the world why not in front of the multitudes why not at least in front of the rest of his disciples why just these three why not all of the twelve well, if you're interested if I was Jesus then I would have done it on the occasion that he asked his disciples who do men say that I am you know that would have been the time I think there would have been a wonderful one. Who do men say that I'm well? Some say John the Baptist, and some say one of the prophets, and some say Jeremiah or Elijah. Who do you say that I am? Up gets Peter, says you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. That's when I would have done it. How good would that have been? Dazzling white clothes. Elijah, Moses. And I would have pointed to Peter and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. That's when I would have done it. Why now? Why here? Why at the top of a mountain? Without a crowd? With only three of his disciples? Now perhaps the answer lies for us outside of Mark's Gospel, but in Luke's Gospel, and where Luke gives this account of Jesus, and his transfiguration this uh, 29 of Luke chapter 9 and it's exactly the same situation exactly the same story well, verse 28 says it came to pass after uh, about 8 days after these sayings that he took Peter, James, John and James and went up on the mountain to pray and as he prayed the appearance of his face was altered his robe became white and glistening and behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah. And this is the verse that doesn't appear in Mark's Gospel. And it's talking about Moses and Elijah. And in Luke's Gospel, verse 31, it gives this one extra detail. It talks about the conversation that Jesus has with Moses and Elijah. No. You can imagine being Peter and James and John, can you? And sitting here or standing here or, or lying here on the ground, listening 
to a conversation between Elijah, the great prophet of God, who was respected and revered by all of Israel, and Moses, the lawgiver, the one who led his people out of slavery in Egypt. You can imagine these three men listening to a conversation between these two great men and Jesus. And Luke tells us what their conversation was about. Verse 31 says, They appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. This one extra detail, it reveals to us what the conversation was about between Jesus and Moses and Elijah. They spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. They spoke about his departure. They spoke about his death. Now for the first time, in the understanding of these three men, Peter and James and John, they were privy to a conversation between three people who had an understanding of what Jesus had come to do. Of who Jesus was and what he had come to do. And these three men heard three people talking and who had an understanding of the mission of Jesus. Who he was and what he had come to do. And the revelation of the glory of Jesus and the revelation of who he is and his great might and his great strength and his great power and his great majesty and his great love starts to be revealed when the conversation turns to Calvary. When people start to grasp the idea and understand the idea when eyes and minds and hearts turn to Jesus and his death on the cross of Calvary, his glory starts to become real. His glory starts to become revealed to these people. And the might of Christ that has been hidden and unseen by human eyes up until now starts to become a reality. And his strength and his power and his majesty and who he really is and his love and his grace and his mercy which has been unseen by human eyes up to now when hearts and minds and eyes turn to Calvary it starts to become a reality and you start to understand who Jesus is when you think about Calvary and it starts to become a reality how great he is and how wonderful he is and how mighty he is and how strong and righteous and loving and gracious and mercy he is when your eyes and your mind and your heart turns to Calvary you know Christ has done such a lot up to now within Mark 9 and there have been 8 chapters up to now and they have been great chapters and it's Mark's gospel and Mark doesn't 
minces words and Mark doesn't waste his time but Mark has Jesus doing the most wonderful of things doing the most wonderful of things he has healed the sick he has stilled the storm he has fed the 5,000 and many, many more things beside yet the reality of who he is the reality of his glory is not revealed and is not seen in any of those things you know what the feeding of the 5,000 that wasn't the time when the reality of Jesus is seen in the stilling of the storm that isn't the time when the reality of the glory of Jesus is seen in the healing of the sick that isn't the time when the reality of Jesus and the glory of Jesus is seen it's in his death on the cross of Calvary it's when hearts and minds and eyes turn towards Calvary that the reality of who Jesus is and his glory is revealed for humanity to see at his death on the cross of Calvary now it's there that the power of God is seen at its greatest it's there that Paul tells us the love of God is demonstrated to us in all of its fullness. It's there that he triumphs over sin and death and hell and the grave. It's there that he triumphs over the forces of darkness and over any and every work of Satan. It's there at the cross, at Calvary, that the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed to the world and to ordinary men and women like Peter, James and John and you and me as we worship him this morning the reality of who he is is displayed at Calvary the brightness of his glory is displayed in the darkness of the cross of Calvary now that has an impact and it has something to say to you and me as Christians this morning now what it tells us once again this morning is that if you and I miss Calvary then we miss who Jesus really is mm. you know for many many people and Mark's Gospel is this historical document and for many many people who were involved in the story of Jesus at the time the first eight chapters of Mark is where they get up to and where they stop now Mark 1 to 8 it's full of crowds and full of multitudes it's full of people clamouring for him it's full of people journeying to see him it's full of people missing meals to see him there are thousands and thousands of people who flock to see Jesus in the first eight chapters of Mark but as we go from chapter 9 you realize that the crowds they, they fall away mm. and the multitudes they fall away because now the road is leading to Jerusalem mm. and now the road is leading to Calvary and it's difficult to follow him to Jerusalem 
It's difficult to follow him to Calvary. You know, we have 5,000 people, or 5,000 men plus women and children who were part of the crowd that followed him in the first eight chapters of Mark. But as you go through the book of Mark, from now on, as you get to Calvary, they all fall by the side. And Calvary becomes a lonely place. Mm. And it's not a place of crowds. And it's not a place of multitudes. But this story would tell us here in Mark 9, if we miss Calvary, mm. we turn ourselves away from it, and if we are satisfied with a, a Christ who is just feeding the 5,000, and a Christ who just stills the storms, and a Christ who just heals the sick, and all those things are wonderful. But if we stay there, then we miss the reality of who Jesus really is. Mm. And we miss the reality of what He has come to do. If we miss Calvary, then we miss who Jesus really is. Not just His death, but the meaning of His death. Not just his death, but his death for you and me. You know, this in this is seen the glory of Jesus. In his death for you and for me. His victory over sin. His punishment for us. His taking upon himself the wrath of God. Miss that. And I miss who Jesus really is. Miss that. And I miss what Jesus has really come to do. And if I stay in the comfort. Of the feeding of the 5,000. Which must have been so wonderful. If I stay in the comfort of the boat. Which was tossing about on the waves. And then Jesus stilled the storm. It must have been so wonderful. To be on the calmness of the sea. With the Saviour. But if I stay there. And if I stay at the, the time where Jesus healed the sick, or Jesus raised the dead, or Jesus made the blind to see, if I stay there, and I don't go to Calvary with him, and I don't understand that he has died for me, and I don't understand his victory over my sin, and his punishment that was mine to bear, that is borne by him instead of me, if I stay in the boat or in the, the field with the 5,000 and I don't look at him taking upon himself the wrath of God for my sin and my shame and my guilt, then I miss the glory of Jesus, my Saviour. I miss the reality of who Jesus is and what he has come to do miss that and I miss who Jesus really is miss that and I'm seeing less than half the picture miss that and I could say the half was never told me because I've stayed in those first eight chapters and I've stayed on the boat or I've stayed with the 5,000 or I've stayed with those who have had encounters with him you know that that is a serious thing for you and me 
to understand here this morning as Christians that there is peace and comfort and joy in the feeding of the 5,000 and in the stillness of the boat after Jesus has calmed the storm and all those wonderful things that there is salvation only at the cross of Calvary so and that means something for you and me this morning because we are in need of salvation we are in need of a saviour who goes all the way to Calvary for us we are in need of a saviour who in his glory and in his majesty and in his power and his might the son of God himself yet he lays down his life for the sins of the world and for my sin on the cross of Calvary it's serious and it's an issue for you and me and something that we can consider whether we've been Christians for uh, two minutes or forty years there is still a necessity to find ourselves at Calvary you know it's, it's a responsibility for you and me but there's an issue here for the rest of the world too you know that same Jesus has called you and me to proclaim him Amen. and to share his good news Amen. and to proclaim and to declare to this world of ours the lightness, the brightness, the glory, the revelation of who Jesus really is. You now as we look around us into our communities, into our society this morning, how much do people need to see that dazzlingly white, bright light that emanates from the glory of our Lord mm. and Saviour. Now in the darkness of Astrid or the Rhonda Valley or the whole of the world, how much need is there for this great glorious light yeah. of Jesus as he is revealed in his reality mm. into the world this morning. There is a great need for you and me to proclaim the glory of Jesus of who he is of what he has come to do and we are called as Christians to do that no but to proclaim Jesus and then leave out the reality of his sacrifice to proclaim Jesus and his greatness and his wonder in what he has done he has healed the sick he has stilled the storm he has fed the 5,000 but to proclaim Jesus and leave out the reality of Calvary the atoning death of Calvary it means that I am not proclaiming the fullness of the gospel of Jesus I'm robbing him of his glory I'm robbing him of the reality of who he is and what he has come to do and I'm not only robbing him of his glory I'm robbing the world of his glory to declare a Jesus without the sacrifice of Calvary is to rob the world of the reality of who he is the fullness of who Christ is and what he has come to achieve you know this story is difficult to understand it's not about the physical anymore it's about the spiritual it's about dazzlingly white unearthly white clothes it's about Elijah it's about Moses but more than that it's about Jesus 
and who he is. It's about Jesus and all of his character. It's about Jesus and what he has come to do. It's about Jesus and what he can offer. A world that is struggling and a world that is dying without him. It's about Christ crucified for you and me. Christ crucified for the world. You know, for you and me there is a responsibility this morning. To stay here and to take in this glory of Christ. To find ourselves a Calvary once again. Although it's hard. And although there's suffering there. And although there's shame there for me. As I understand the reality of my sin. And the reality of the fact that I need a saviour. To do what I cannot do. There is a need. For Christians like you and me. To remain at Calvary. To understand. The glory of God. Displayed uniquely at Calvary. And to let that glory of the Saviour. Shine through you and me. Be proclaimed through you and me. Declared through you and me. Into a world. That is so desperately. In need of him. The glory of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ is found uniquely in his greatest act for me his death upon the cross of Calvary for his name's sake Amen.